Welcome to Front and Center, from political battlefields to cooperative playing fields, where awakening people from all sides come together to help write our new story and build upon America's sacred purpose, unity and diversity, while expressing their individual freedom in the context of sacred community. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Maxenny and Steve Behrman. center from political battlefields to cooperative playing fields. Hello, I'm Michael Maxenny and my partner Steve Berryman and I are going to continue a conversation with Nancy Vogel. I hope you've watched the first segment uh, and Steve gave a more complete introduction to Nancy. But for those of you who are just joining us, because the subject that we're going to try to unpack a little bit here and and we're not experts about it, and it's not an in-depth study of it for sure. But we hope to spark some curiosity and open up some people's minds and thinking about a very important and controversial issue right now uh, around the topic of critical race theory, referred to as CRT. So it's an important topic. We hope you'll stay with us. We'll hope that you will expand your thinking after listening to this conversation with Nancy and Steve and I. Steve, is there anything you want to add to that? If not, let's get into this. Okay, well, I just want to say that Nancy Vogel was founding member of one of the first feminist rock bands in the 1970s, performed at an international women's rock festival in Germany. She's worked with, if you uh, watch the first or listen to the first segment, James and Grace Lee Boggs, who were pioneers in uh, uh, political organizing in Detroit. She's worked uh, with youth for the past 40 years, the uh, Sonoma County's LGBTQI support group, and now she's on the advisory board of the Common Sense Party of California. So welcome back, Nancy, and uh, let's, let's dive in. You know, obviously you were involved uh, in, in working with the Bogses. You were certainly um, uh, exposed to... Um, many, many ideas about racism, about the sources, the causes, the impacts, and so on. You've seen it from many, many different standpoints. And now it seems that this uh, critical race theory is sort of a political football that is being um, misheard, misinterpreted, misunderstood, misrepresented, and it's become kind of a, a area of controversy. So Let's talk about that. What is critical race theory and how did it begin? Well, the actual critical race theory is a legal is from legal scholars from the mid 80s. And um, I'm remiss in not knowing the book that it came from. It's a it's a, a book by um, um, a legal professor. There were three professors and it it posits that the racism that is endemic to the United States that very few people can deny. I mean, it's, it would be very challenging to say that this country didn't have uh, hundreds of years of demonstrated discrimination. That's 
almost impossible to, to deny. So the actual theory is that that racism by the people who were elected, by the people who were judges, by the people who were in every town in America, that that sentiment was embedded in the laws that were made. And so if you have that racist ideological positioning, when you are on the real estate board, you would say, wait a minute, wait a minute. If blacks moved into this neighborhood, then the price is going to go down. So we're going to make a line in every town and we'll put the African-American population here and we'll allow the white people to be here. And so what they're saying is that the racism that is endemic to our history is embedded in the laws that have been created, period. That's what critical race theory is. The way it's being used, I think, is to foment, uh, to foment divisiveness and to foment fear because I don't think it's really that people don't want a certain kind of history to be taught. It's that they don't want white children to feel guilty. So I wanna make a big distinction between the actual fact of definitions of what is critical race theory and the question of how is it that we teach American history in our schools and the emotional component that's not being acknowledged nationwide by saying, yes, well, I can't really deny that there was an Indian massacre. I can't really deny that we have excluded African-Americans from certain jurisdictions, certain, we can't really deny that. But the main thing is, <clears throat> I don't wanna feel guilty about it. I don't wanna change. And I don't want my kids to feel guilty. That emotional component, I think is really the issue that, that, that is driving this conversation, but I don't hear it spoken about very much. And I could be wrong, okay? I could be wrong. I'm just saying what I see, that's what I see. Because critical race theory, in another way of saying it, is the history of the United States. The, uh, Nancy, in the way that you put it there and the way you see it, uh, which can't be denied, that's the way you see it, and I'll try to present how it's seen from the other side. Okay. Uh, and that feeling of guilt uh, is is absolutely true. The way it's way it's being positioned or perceived uh, by many people. And again, this is we're not experts on this without bringing in a yeah, lot right. of studies, but. What I hear, what I see from talking to people and reading, there is a direct uh, pushback fight. It's like the proctologist view of American history uh, has been described in one time. That's what they're trying to teach our children and make us feel guilty, et cetera. Well, it brings us back to an early conversation that we had in earlier in our show, our program mm -hmm. called Lost People. And <clears throat> those the issue of redlining, which is how you described it with the line, it's called redlining, is the technical term for it, where they created districts that mm -hmm. only uh, people of color could could be, would be excluded from. Right. Uh, those really exist. 
And people really did do things consciously and some just subconsciously. But this issue of racism in America, the what I think one of the big resentment points is, is that it's all about like, we're the only ones as a country that's done it. And yet racism exists in every country to varying degrees in blacks on blacks, Chinese on Chinese, whatever race, whatever nationality. And one of the points we tried to bring out earlier in one of our interviews called Lost People was a great interaction between Tom Hartman and an indigenous gentleman elder in Australia who had been born as a uh, half Aborigines, half white, and been taken from his home at three, sold into slavery, escaped from slavery. And as an elder now, many years later, he, he has his conversation with Tom and Tom says, Didn't, don't you just hate those white people for what they did to you? And he said, no, what they did to me had been done to them. And, and he delved into that a little more because what happened to the Western Europeans and every culture throughout the world has had some genocide perpetrated on them at some time. Mm-hmm. And so I think what is important and being missed and, and left out of these conversations is the fact that we've all experienced at some point this kind of racism, traumas. And now it's like, folks, if we're going to have America uh, that we want to live in, if we're going to have a more beautiful and just world, instead of trying to make people feel guilty of the past, uh, we need to bring that forth and, and understand it totally, how the interactions occurred, what happened truly there between the the indigenous people, the black slaves, and the white European settlers, and the rest of them, uh, and how people have treated each other so poorly for centuries. But until we learn to forgive each other for the past and help each other, take each other from where we are today, arm in arm, and, and with compassion and understanding for each and every one of our journeys being different and painful and forgive each other, then we can begin to move forward. If we try to beat up on people because of the past of what some other ancestor did to some other ancestor, only gets people, if it's done in in a insensitive way, only gets people continuing to fight against each other, resist it. Uh, You know, your ancestors did this to my ancestors and and it's a fight. It's like, that's not getting us anywhere. So I think that's a big- Mike, I I have to say, you predicated this on, I don't want to have to, we, we don't want to have to feel guilty. And what I'm saying is, nobody said that. Nobody wants whites to feel guilty. People of color and people who've been marginalized by the dominant white, predominantly male patriarchy want some acknowledgement that that in fact has been done. It's not a question of making feel people feel guilty because guilt is useless. It doesn't matter. Nobody wants somebody to feel bad about it. But until we acknowledge, yes, that happened, that sucks. If I were there today, I wouldn't have let that happen. But nobody's even talking about that, Mike. They're just saying, don't touch it. Don't go there. Don't go there. And I'm saying that is what is the the crux of the issue because no, very few people are saying what you're saying. You say that you're representing your your you know constituents in a kind of a way, but 
No, um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to put forth what I hear and the arguments. That's what I'm saying. You're, you're yeah. representing what you're hearing. Right. And, and in a way, I mean, in a perfect world, what you say is absolutely true. Everybody has been traumatized. Trauma-informed care is now the hottest thing in public health because the fact is it's true. We have people walking around who are the walking wounded who are not capable of functioning as, as effective, you know, parents or whatever. And this is, this is, a, that's a real pandemic. So, I, I mean, I, I gather that, that that's true. The other thing, it's a little bit like saying black lives matter. No, all lives matter. You're right. They do. But if this house is on fire, is the, is the fire truck going to come and put out the whole block? Or are they going to focus on that house? And what people of color, the people that I'm hearing from, people of color are saying, hey, can you focus on the house for once? Can you tell us it's burning? Then we'll come over and help put out the fire in your house. Do you see what I'm saying? Oh, I absolutely okay, do. Okay, okay. And I absolutely, <laughs> I'm smiling if it's on speaker view or gallery view. I'm All smiling right. here okay. because the answer you gave is exactly what I was hoping to would come forth because... You're right. I look back and it gets me, I have to control my passion to think how many years I was a, a teenager when Martin Luther King and what was going on then. And here I am now at this late age in my life. And where in the hell has the progress been, folks? Mm -hmm. Come on. How long should people have to wait? Right. Some of the most warm people, loving people that I've ever been fortunate in my life to meet are people of color. And I don't think of them. some of them, my most enduring friends. Uh, and it's like, how long are they expected to wait? Mm -hmm. How long folks are you going to hold on to this, allow this issue of, of thinking of, of your, because of your insecurity to think you need to feel superior to somebody else and not to recognize their equal humanity. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like, I get really frustrated with it. That's why we're doing what we're doing. It's yeah. one of the reasons I wanted to have you on here because yeah. we've got to help people go, come on folks, how long are they expected to wait? Yeah, I sure shit wouldn't be sitting on my, yeah. letting it just go on generation after generation. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got to, it's time now to make that change. And we now have the ability mm -hmm. because of, of technology and where we are, we're being thrown together. And now it's like, come on folks, Let's understand each other. Let's forgive each other. Let's work together. Come on. How long mm -hmm. are we going to not work together and help each other? And, and just to add one more thing, um, my partner is a professional educator and has been for 46 years and assures all the people on her school board and parents that critical race theory is not being taught. Uh, uh, inquiry, um, exploration, research, all of the things that a student would do in school, that's what's being taught. So there is no critical race theory class. There is no, there's ethnic studies because people have gotten together and say, hey, there's some people left out of the history books. You know, we'd like to be in, okay? So now there's ethnic studies, but it's not like there is CRT embedded in social studies or math or it doesn't exist. So I want to put that out for someone who's on the fence about this, um, that it's, it's really being overblown. It's being, uh, it's being fear. What is it? When you use fear as a torch, you know, it's yeah. to, uh, to, I, I really think it's being overblown. Yeah. And hopefully people when they hear our, our brief exchange here, 
we'll hopefully have some curiosity to go, you know, this, this phrase that we use, seeking the whole truth together. Mm -hmm. It's history was written by the victors. It's his story. I mean, mm -hmm. that's, that's where it comes from. And it's mm -hmm. like, Hey folks, we now have the opportunity to go back and really uncover aspects of the history from many different perspectives mm -hmm. and build a holistic view uh, of our history. And from that view, we can really begin to see, wow, it was really tough on a lot of people. In that. And I love this new uh, 1883 uh, show because it really brings forth a, a clear understanding of the innocence and ignorance of many, not all, many of those Western uh, settlers from Western European settlers who came here and were thrown out into this into this land with the indigenous natives who it was their land that they lived yeah. on for centuries and right. you know, generations. And they were being put out there uh, and the interactions, most of the, the conflicts were really out of ignorance and fear for each other. And then you throw in the government. This is where the government goes back, where the government now really screwed things up because now they throw in the military our, our, and they went in and cleared the path uh, by killing out the Indians, making treaty after treaty that they then broke right. every single one of them, right. took these people from these beautiful lands and put them right. out in the shithole parts of the country and right. expected them somehow to all of a sudden magically turn parts of this country that nobody wanted to live in into flowering gardens. Uh, it's like, and so it's like, come on, folks. But the, and this truth needs to come out. We need to hear this. People need to know, not be not be made to feel guilty of it because their ancestors participated in it, but to be able to go, thank God I was born now. And mm -hmm. now I have an opportunity to help move us forward. Right. Exactly. Go, that was a really ugly, difficult period. That's right, Mike. Suffered a lot. I mean, that's really it. It's not about feeling guilty. It's about taking stock and saying, hey, it's a different time. It's a different place. What can we do now that's different? And have exactly. the what courage. can we do now? Yeah. Yeah. What can we do now to create that more beautiful and just world? Mm -hmm. That America that we do want to live in. Right. Uh, when we look around at the at the so many issues that we've got to, to start solving, and that goes back to this point about getting government on the side of the people mm -hmm. and getting off of the political battlefield so that we can begin to cooperate together, rehumanize each other, and start to cooperate. That, and then from there, we can build partnerships and realize that all of our goals, most all of our goals, are very similar. People want to be loved. They want to be respected. They want to have equal opportunity. And let's help each other. And let's do this now. I, I would caution when we say, you know, that, that government is the problem. I, I mean, my, you know, my feelers go up and I just and, and my reaction is the governance, the govern, governance that we have created is no longer functioning. So it's not that I'm anti-government. It's that the, the, the log jam, the ego, the practices and behaviors of so many people in government, I, that is what we need to look at. It's not well, that anti-government. It's that, yeah. it's well, that we need clarify. to create new structures. Yeah, let me clarify. That's why we say get government on the side of the people. Yeah. 
It's not that we're against government. No, not at all. And that, that yeah. phrase, get government on the side of people, means mm-hmm. we want to make government instead of, of a, a hindrance and a mm-hmm. government that supports uh, crony capitalism and supports right. systems that right. do have racist uh, tendencies built into, we can fix those, but we've got to get government instead of on the side of the few, on the side of the special interests, on the side of the moneyed globalists, Get it on the side of the people to facilitate, be a facilitator yep. to the cooperation, a facilitator to bring people together instead of purposefully dividing people. Mm-hmm. It could be a facilitator. The reason I'm so anxious right now is that I have a perfect example of this, is yeah. that it was put out to um, marijuana farmers, small farmers, that with the legalization of pot, that it would be a herald in a new age. Not only would it be legal, but the work they would do to make their farms legal and to come up to code and to do all the things that uh, registration and legislation would make it possible. It was put out that all that would happen and that it would be dedicated to the small farmers. So who's moved in? Bayer, Gallo, you know, I don't know if it's Gallo, but the big big corporations corporations. have moved in and now many of the small farmers that did the worst, that, that the most to look at spotted owls, to look at water, uh, water, look at um, um, you know, uh, toxic water flow, look, to, to look at every you know, fish and game and, and, and clearing some of the trees. So the, some of the farmers that did the, the most to make it right, are now going out of business because now it's not profitable. Yeah. I mean, that's just a perfect example. Somebody got to somebody, you know, in Sacramento, and now the the, the legalization process is now not focusing on the small farms at all. So a lot of them are going to either go underground again, which then we're going to have to deal with ecological issues, right? Because you don't have fish and game. You don't have... Um, uh, species protection. You don't have uh, water uh, analysis, and so there it is. That that's that's something that is really sad right now. And that's just one example of so many. And Steve, I I got to shut up for a minute because I can get you know, I, I, what, what you just what you just brought up uh, is really. I mean, we have such a confluence of uh, tragic um, conditions uh, happening right now economic, environmental, and so on, that these things all happening at once, uh, it's certainly important for this issue to be reconciled. Because like a family, if there's a perpetration in a family and that perpetration goes unacknowledged, it toxifies the whole situation. So mm-hmm. our, uh, our well-being as a country has been toxified by our history and the unacknowledged aspects of it. Mm-hmm. And yet, we can all find common ground in that uh, the exploitation and extraction and domination system is still in place. And uh, it, it's taken on the, uh, I mean, obviously, uh, you can see the difference between people of color and people who are white. And so there's a very easy way to discriminate in that regard. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the economic discrimination and the economic issues is, uh, is uh, at a certain level, colorblind. And so we're dealing, a lot of the people who are taking exception to this and feel like, uh, what is this, 
the uh, the white replacement theory, where white people mm -hmm. are going to be replaced by people of color who are coming across the border in droves and and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. That fear is partly fomented by the uh, extractor system that has impacted all of those working people, like the auto workers I used to teach in Detroit. So, in this particular issue, I want to get back to the uh, to the critical race theory and, and race issue. How do we actually create truth and reconciliation and reparations, and how does this get acknowledged in a way, not like Black History Month or anything like that, expanding it to Black History Quarter or something like that, but, uh, but how do we actually take this issue and create completion around it so that there is an acknowledgement and, uh, and a welcoming uh, of everybody into our, into our system? How do we do that? How long is that going to take? Great question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> I mean, I'd say conversations. I mean, that's what it takes, conversations. Deep yeah. conversations with, with people who are willing to listen to one another. And um, uh, in the local level, I mean, we're talking about having one of those conversations here. Um, a person that, uh, person here down in another town, uh, we're talking about bringing people together to initiate a conversation like that. There are a lot, there are several, there was a, a town in the South and there's a nonprofit organization. And unfortunately I lost the packet 20 years ago, but they have, there are processes that they will come into a town and they bring people together and you have three choices. And so for a positioned paper, they'll take that whatever issue is the, is the challenging issue of that town they do a left, right, and a center position, and people take a seat wherever they are, and then there are prompts for specific conversations about that, that issue, and we did it in Petaluma about 20 years ago, and it was, it was phenomenal. It was phenomenal when you got people together, because then you can really hear why someone feels that way, and you say, oh, I didn't know exactly like that, and it really, really is powerful, and I imagine that if people have it together, more things like that will happen and we'll have these conversations when more and more people are tired of the polemics and the, and the criminalization of another point of view where someone's, you know, becomes the enemy. I mean, for my mind, I think, uh, for me, it started with, uh, boy, my brain is just not working today. Um, the personalization of, of, of politics during the early 80s, Newt Gingrich was the yeah. first one I feel 94. Like yeah. began to, began to, to, to um, uh, make the opposite uh, um, opinion the enemy, you know, to uh, weaponize a particular platform that then personalized it, as opposed to the old story that we would hear that, uh, you know, who a Republican and Democrat would go out for drinks together after Congress, you know, they'd all go out and they'd talk. But it, it was at that time that the other person became the enemy. And it was a strategy but I think it's backfired miserably for the country. Well, that's a good segue into a little promotion I'm gonna do right now for, before we close off this conversation, which is far too brief on, on CRT, but the Common Sense Party, and I encourage our audience to go to 
quite simply, CA, obviously for California, CACommonSense.org. And one of the things the Common Sense Party is bringing people like Nancy, myself, Steve, and, and others, uh, we're trying to be a seed to create a new party that will represent that roughly 70, 80% of Americans who truly see these problems, are tired of this constant battle, who want to work together and bring their voices into it, not just to be a voice, but to be an active participant. And through the Common Sense Party, we hope to be able to bring people, to bring the indigenous wisdom in with the modern thinking, to bring the feminist vision with the masculine, to bring the conservative and the progressive. Those vast differences into the room. So just as you said, Nancy, it takes that kind of diverse perspectives to get the best thinking so that you can come up with the mm -hmm. best solutions that will work towards the, the solving the problems. Uh, because the individual path we take to a solution that we can all agree on is almost irrelevant to most anybody. As long as they can see that it's fair and it will solve the problem, people mm -hmm. are amazing. They will sacrifice of themselves to contribute to a solution that will work. And uh, that's what the common sense part about. We don't care if people are Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians, Greens, Independents, whatever, mm -hmm. as long as you have integrity back to the core principles that your parents taught you and my parents taught me and Steve's were taught to him and many, many others. It's about integrity. And it's up to the voters then to choose a person whose words and actions will mirror each other so they can trust them and then they'll elect them as their representative to go to Sacramento and work on these changes or to go to city council because mm -hmm. local is key. It starts at local and works up, but our Sacramento government is absolutely essential to get working with the people, all the people, and not just some of the people. So... Yeah, I just want to add one thing, and that there are organizations right now, like Living Room Conversations mm -hmm. and right. uh, Braver Angels, right. that could actually gear conversations right. around this specific issue. Mm -hmm. So that, and I, I agree that rehumanization is really important. It's essential because if you're sitting face to face with some to somebody, it's very hard to um, stereotype them, particularly after you've heard their story. Right. Um, you know, I grew up uh, in a housing project as one of the few white kids there, mostly black neighborhood in New York. So I thought I had a perspective. And then when the uh, Black Lives Matters thing happened, my wife just happened to find a, uh, an, uh, an old uh, a, uh, a video, DVD, of the TV series Roots. Mm -hmm. And we watched the whole thing, however many hours it was, and it just, it was so eye-opening as to the, the dehumanization and treachery mm -hmm. uh, and evil that occurred in that, that you go, you know, whatever experience I've had in my life right. has nothing to do with any of that. I've got stuff in my, I'm also Jewish, and I have stuff in my DNA about that. Mm -hmm. But people who've had that happen, who who are ripped from their um from their homes and existence like that, uh, and put on ships right. and chained up, that's got to be in the DNA, and it has to be in, in the unspoken uh, trauma that's passed forward one generation to the next. Mm -hmm. so I recommend that 
for anybody that wants yeah. to actually rewatch it, understand that experience. You know, and this this issue of being burned into DNA is there on various levels of so many. But one of the most important and un tragic things that gets me and many others so upset is the issue of slavery today. And that slavery goes on to this day right around in our own communities. Uh, and it's, it's a huge problem that is not being talked about that needs to be worked on and, and helped resolved as well. Uh, I hope uh, that people are enjoying the conversation we're having with Nancy. We want to come back for a third and final segment of this conversation before we wear out. Uh, and we want to talk a little bit about an important, again, controversial issue about this topic of pronouns and the use of pronouns and, and, and genderqueer uh, and how that's in being taught or needs to be taught by parents and teachers, et cetera. So come back and watch that. Again, uh, we hope you're enjoying uh, our show here. Uh, I want to thank Nancy again and let her stay Well, we're going to continue this conversation. Uh, so thanks uh, again for watching. And if you're on Locals platform or Rumble, please consider becoming a supporter so that Steve and I can continue our work <laughs> And if you're watching on YouTube or listening to our audio podcast on either Apple, Spotify, or whatever platform you're on, please subscribe, please like and share, and uh, tell your friends about it. From political battlefields to cooperative playing fields, and may we make America the, the America that we want. It's a long journey to the more beautiful and just world our hearts know is possible. Let's go, to the, go there together. Thank you very much. Please come back and watch us on section, segment three, when we're gonna talk about genderqueer and the use of pronouns. Thank you again.